Welcome to this presentation from the Downey Seventh-day Adventist Church. We are located in the greater Los Angeles area at 9820 Lakewood Boulevard in Downey, California. We would love to have you worship with us any Saturday you are in our area. Today's message is Hope on the Ropes. Now, here's Bill Almack. We're starting a new series today, and it's called Prepared. Um, This series is How to Defend Your Faith Without Losing Your Mind. People ask these crazy questions. Today's message is Hope on the Ropes. And, you know, we have, as Christians, maybe one of the most frustrating things are what I call drive-by questions. Where people just kind of come by and they fire off this question or this statement, and they don't really want an answer. They don't want 15 minutes of you describing something. It's just this thing. And then the conversation goes on, and you're left standing there like, what just happened? Right? Let me give you some examples. Maybe some friends at work are playing something on the weekend, right? Saturday. And they look at you and go, oh, but Frank, you won't be here because you go to church on Sabbath, right? And the conversation moves on. And you never even have a chance to say, you'd love my church. Come check it out. Right? It just, it's just gone. Family can be the worst. Thanksgiving time. You get together and you've got that uncle or maybe a father-in-law who always has the same three barbs he, he throws out every year, you know. And he, he's not really trying to be mean. He's just kind of establishing his turf. And we're not going to talk about God because I've already thought about it. And I boom, 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 boom. And then he's on to the game. And you don't even have a chance to respond. And you're just left feeling off balance. I don't know what just happened. I didn't have a chance to answer. Your sister-in-law, who says, Oh, I forgot, you're religious, right? And then the conversation moves on. And all these things just happen. Now, people don't really want an answer. They haven't read a book. They don't care. They won't listen to a podcast. It's just this drive-by question. And how do you answer it? And how do you know what to say? And so we're going to talk about being prepared for that. You don't have 15 minutes to give an answer. You might have 15 seconds. And it's after Thanksgiving when you're headed home. And you think of the perfect comeback. But you can't use it. you got to wait till next year. By next year you've forgotten it. And it all happens again, right? That's not what we want to have happen. We want to be prepared. And I've noticed that people don't take shots at Jesus. Right? They kind of dance around Jesus. They leave Jesus alone. But your faith or your lifestyle because of your faith or all that stuff is open and fair game. The church. Okay? And every once in a while you run into somebody who's sincere and they really do want an answer to a question and they ask you this question and you start talking to them and you're telling them about this and that and the other thing and pretty soon you realize that the answer has gotten to be this convoluted big mess and their eyes are glazing over and they're like, I don't know what you're talking about anymore. So how do we have an answer for these questions? We're going to get some help from Peter. You guys remember Peter in the Bible? He's a 
walk with Jesus. Let's do a little backstory on Peter. You know, remember now, Peter. Remember how Peter meets Jesus. Peter was what? Fisherman. Peter had been fishing all night. Was pulling his boat up there on the little beach at the lake and uh, cleaning his nets, doing whatever. I don't know, taking seaweed and beer cans out of his nets after a night of fishing. And and Jesus shows up. I wants to borrow his boat and push out a little bit and, and preach to the crowd. And so they do that. And when Jesus is done preaching, he looks at Peter and says, Hey, let's go fishing. And I don't know what Peter thought, but it, it had to be, Okay, you're a carpenter. You don't know that you don't go fishing in the day. Right? The fish won't be there. You have to fish at night when it's cool. And you go fishing in the middle of the day, we're not going to catch anything. But Jesus says, no, let's go fishing. And so, I don't know, Peter just being nice to the new rabbi in town, I don't know. But he, he takes Jesus out. And they put down the nets. And they catch so many fish, they can't pull them all in. And they have to call James and John, his friends, and his brother Andrew out to help them. And they catch this monster load of fish, and they take it back to the beach. And Jesus says something like, All right, that's enough fish to pay off your bills, to take care of everything. It's going to keep mom and dad indoors and eating for a long time. I want you to come and follow me. And what always just amazes me is they do it. That, that just, you know, if that happened to me, I'd like, you know, this is really weird and I don't understand what happened here, but dude, no, I'm not following you. Right? But they do it and they follow him. And Peter spends the next couple of years with Jesus going around, seeing all the things that happened. Of course, we know what happens during Jesus' trial. And Peter denies Jesus three times and kind of loses his faith. And what a low point that must be for Peter. But then that resurrection morning, Peter looks into an empty tomb, and he's not there. And a little while later, Peter's back at his boat, getting ready to go fishing again, because he doesn't know what else to do. And Jesus shows up, and they have breakfast on the beach. Now, this is quite a wild ride, right? This is a story where you tell your friends, guys, i got to tell you something, and you are not going to believe this. Right? And I mean, that's really, that's the kind of story it is. Who would believe such a story? But that's the story that Peter has. And so he gives us some great advice on this topic. Open your Bibles with me to 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter's way in the back. If you start at Revelation, you go forward, um, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, and then you get into Peter. It's way there in the back. 1 Peter chapter 3. Verses 13 and 14. It says, Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats and do not be frightened. Now, Peter introduces the idea here that we might suffer for our faith. And suffering in the United States for your faith is, is pretty minor, right? Maybe you don't get a job interview you wanted because you're a Christian and you know, they want you to work on Sabbath and you're not going to do that. 
maybe that hottie won't go out with you because you're a Christian. Okay, I don't know. But that, you know, that's about the extent of our suffering in the United States for our faith. But at no time during your life have Christians been more endangered around the world than right now. I mean, today, Christians will die for their faith in the Middle East. And so that suffering does happen. And Peter says, listen, you're going to suffer. It's going to happen. And Peter took quite a bit of suffering for this. Now remember that Peter um, lives in in a culture where everybody had gods. There were lots and lots of gods, and you've got gods, and i got gods, and she's got gods, and everybody's got gods. And everybody believed that there was lots of gods. And Peter shows up and says, not only is there not lots of gods, there's only one God, my God. And my God's better than your God, and not only that, but your God doesn't even exist. He suffered for that. Furthermore, the emperor, the Roman emperor, would sometimes declare himself a god in an effort to get people to worship him to quell revolts. Now, the Roman emperors knew they weren't gods. It's not like Egypt where they believed Pharaoh was a god. But they, they would kind of declare themselves a god and have the people worship them. And it was more of a way of... Uh, just getting people to swear allegiance to the emperor. And people won't revolt against me if they have to bow down and worship me. So Peter is making this statement that is religious and political at the same time. And he suffered for it. Okay? And he says, you're going to suffer. Okay? But you should suffer for doing what's right. Keep going on in verse 15. He says, but in your hearts, revere Christ as the Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. This is one of the best texts in the Bible. Okay? Because so many of us feel like we have to defend everything that could happen. Every question that could come to us. And somebody's got some trick Bible question. They go, what about this? You know, that Genesis thing in six days. And man, that's weird. I don't know if I believe that. And you know, I don't know. Or they say, what about Christians? And you know, in the 11th century, the Christian church did this. You're like, I've never even heard of this. I wasn't born yet. I didn't have anything to do with it. I don't know. Right? And everybody's got their thing to try and trip you up. And Peter says, you don't have to worry about that. See, you have to be prepared to do what? To give the reason for the hope that who has? You have. I have. You don't have to answer for your spouse. You don't have to answer for the pastor. You don't have to answer for anybody else but you. This is freeing. You don't have to worry about all this stuff. I once heard a church leader say, I've been put here to defend the faith, protect the Bible. No. God doesn't ask you to protect the Bible 
or defend God? I got news for you. God can take care of himself. He doesn't need you to defend him. He's here to defend you. We got that wrong way around. I don't have to defend God. I don't have to defend the Bible. They've been doing fine for centuries without me. All I have to do is say, what is the reason for my hope? Why does it matter to me? This is incredibly freeing. Right? One of the things we learn. Be prepared to defend your decision to follow Christ. Not everybody else's. Not everything else that could possibly happen. Not every trick verse. Just for your hope. Now, Peter kind of tells us how to do this. And he ties his hope to something um, that he witnessed, that he saw. It was an event. That's the resurrection, right? Peter hung out with Jesus. He watched Jesus die. I don't know if he was there when they put him in the tomb or not, but he knows that happened. And he went and looked at the tomb, and it was empty, and then they had breakfast on the beach. And Peter says, I don't know, but I follow him because he was dead, and now he's alive. Right? And, I mean, this is brilliant, right? (laughs) If you can find somebody that can predict their own death and their resurrection, and they pull it off, follow them. That's not rocket science, right? Get in line, follow them, right? And so that's what Peter says. And, you know, if people come up to Peter and say, Peter, what about that hard parable? And Jesus was talking to us. Peter says, I don't know. But he was dead, and then we had breakfast on the beach. So I follow him. Peter, what about Genesis? Is that six literal days or six time periods? Peter says, I don't know. But he was dead, and now he's alive. And so I follow him. Look what he says. We'll turn back to 1 Peter chapter 1. Just back a page or two there. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. It says, In His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope through what? The resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. What is the source of your hope? The resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Right? I mean, that's, that's pretty amazing stuff. In verse 21 of that same chapter, he says, Through Him you believe in God, who raised Him from the dead and glorified Him. And so your faith and hope are in God. Why is your faith and hope in God? Because God raised Jesus from the dead. I don't know how to make it any simpler than that. Right? That's as simple as it gets. Why does Peter have hope? Because Jesus raised from the dead. Now, Peter knows us. Even though he hasn't met us, he knows us. And so he kind of tells us, like, prepare a defense, but don't be defensive. 
sometimes we can be defensive. You're picking on me. You're a big bully, right? And we get defensive. Look what he says. Back to First Peter chapter 3, uh, the last part of 15 and 16. It says, But do this with gentleness and respect. With gentleness and respect. Keeping a, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. Respect. We've screwed up respect. Right? Whenever there's a group that thinks they're in the majority, and this doesn't matter whether it's politics or religion or race or even sports fans at the local ballpark, when you think you're in the majority, you speak with authority that you may or may not have. Right? And as Christians, we kind of thought we had the majority for a while. I don't know, maybe we did, I don't know. But when you speak with authority that you may or may not have, eventually you will be disrespectful. You don't mean to be, but you will be. Because you will say something that sounds disrespectful. And, and the reason that some people aren't Christians is because they've met too many Christians. And when they've always met people, you shouldn't be doing that. Don't you know? And we tried to speak with authority that we may not have had. And we were disrespectful. It was like, you're not even listening to me. Sit down, shut up, behave. We've heard that, right? And we were disrespectful. We didn't mean to be. Nobody got up that morning and said, watch me disrespect these sinners, man. Nobody says that. But we did it. Okay? And so um, we didn't act with gentleness and respect. Keep a clear conscience. I've always thought that Billy Graham was a great example of this. You could disagree with Billy Graham's theology. And there's some parts of his theology I disagree with. But you can't say anything bad about Billy Graham. He lived a life above reproach. He made mistakes. He wasn't perfect, but he owned them and he moved on. That's the kind of life we're called to live, right? To, to be above reproach. Okay? There's going to be times in, in, in your life where you're going to meet people who don't like you. And they're going to say it's because of what you believe. But generally it's not because of what you believe. It's because of what you show their life to be like. Have you ever been somewhere where you all were doing something you knew you shouldn't be doing, but you were doing it anyway? Don't answer that. Maybe in high school. And we're all cheating off the best student in the class, right? Sometimes even the best student knows it, you know, and they're letting us, and we're all copying down answers, right? You get one or two wrong, so the teacher's not too suspicious, right? But there's one kid over there that doesn't do it. Now, does everybody kind of bow down to that kid and go, oh man, that kid, he's awesome? No. What do we do? We cut them down, right? 
You crazy fool, what are you doing? Why? Because their behavior shines a light on us and makes us look bad. Right? And that's what can happen sometimes. And you're going to meet people who say they don't like you because of what you believe, but what they don't like is the fact that your life shines a light on theirs and it illuminates some things that they wish nobody could see. Okay? And so this is going to happen. But the way we should live our lives is so that people want to say nice things about Christians. You know, those Christians, I don't, you know, I don't want to marry one or anything, but I, I hope my son does. Because those Christians, they stick together. And if they have marriage problems, they'll, they'll stick it out. You know, those Christians, they believe some weird things, man. I'm, I'm not into all that. But they're good people. They're honest. I'd hire all of them I can find at my job. That's the kind of life you want to be living. See, because our, our lifestyle can sometimes ding, if you want to call it that, the conscience of people who aren't living that kind of life. And there's some great examples of this in history. One of the, the best ones I can think of is happened around 100, 110 A.D. This is about 70 years after Jesus dies. And we have the Roman emperor was Trajan. Trajan was an emperor that kind of believed in um, the people should worship him, and that's how he helped to quell the, the riots and internal rumblings in, in his area. And he would send letters out to his local governors and tell them, you know, it's time to round up the Christians and torture them. Because the Christians wouldn't bow down and worship Trajan. Now, if you were a Jew, you had an out. You didn't have to worship the emperor. But if you were a Gentile who became a Christian, you had to worship the, 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 the emperor. There was no out for you. And the Christians didn't want to do this. They said, we only worship God. So there was this big problem that would go on. So every once in a while, Trajan would send out these letters. We had this one exchange with a local governor. His name was Pliny the Younger. Because there was plenty the older before him. I always wonder what the next one was named. Plenty the more younger-er, I don't know. But um, So we got Plenty the Younger. He's a local governor. He's in Turkey. And uh, he's with this letter exchange between him and the emperor in Rome, Trajan. So the letters kind of come down. They're telling him, you know, it's time to round up the Christians. Start, you know, put them in jail and torture them. We've we got to get them in line. So plenty, you know, he starts doing this and he sends out the spies and he gets them, you know, infiltrated into the Christian ranks and they start rounding them up and he starts sending back letters and he's like, um, oh great emperor, did you know that there's a lot of these Christians out there? I, I didn't really know what they were all about and stuff, but man, they're, they're everywhere. They're in the cities. They're in the country. Some of these people, they've been Christians for like 20 and 30 years, man. We, we can't round them all up. There's, there's too many of them. But, but we rounded up some of them, and we, we sent out spies, and we learned some stuff about them. And you know, we can't torture citizens, so we hold them in jail. But you know, some of the slaves of the Christians that were Christian, we, can, we could uh, torture them. And, and this is what we found out. 
Okay? And so this is um, part of the exchange that, that he sends out. Okay, so I skipped this. Sorry. Our selfless and generous, compassionate living is unassailable. Right? We talked about that. Here's his uh, part of the letter. So this is Plenty the Younger writing back to, to Trajan. He says, The sum and substance of their fault or error had been that they were accustomed to meet on a fixed day before dawn and sing responsively a hymn to Christ as to a God. Okay, now, you know, kind of what he's saying here is, you know, we heard these guys were criminals, and we rounded them up, and this is what they're doing. They get up before dawn on a work day, and they gather together, and they sing a hymn. Well, why are we rounding these people up again? Well, what are we doing? See, and I know when we sing songs here, there's a whole slew of different reactions. Some people are... Some people are into it. You know, there's a whole slew of different reactions. But when these people got together to sing, see, that was all they had. They didn't have a Bible. They didn't have any scriptures. They might have had a couple scraps from letters or copies of letters. But largely what they had were songs. And they would teach each other about God through these songs. And they would sing responsibly through these songs. And this is how they told each other about God. And so they would get together and they would sing these songs, these hymns to Christ as to a God. And he says, and they would bind themselves by oath, not to some crime, but to not commit fraud, theft, or adultery, not to falsify their trust, nor to refuse to return a trust when they are called upon to do so. Oh, great emperor, these are our best citizens. What are we supposed to do? I I wish everybody lived like that. Imagine what would happen if all the Christians in Downey and Pico and Norwalk and La Mirada and Bellflower and Paramount and Bell and all the surrounding areas all did that. We're not going to commit crimes. We're not going to commit fraud. We're not going to steal. We're not going to commit adultery. We're not going to falsify our trust. We're going to be honest and return the loan when we were called upon to do so. Would our communities be any different? Yeah. Yeah. Look how the letter ends. When this was over, it was their custom to depart and to assemble again to partake of food, but ordinary and innocent food. This part was, it's kind of weird, but it's kind of important. Ordinary and innocent food. Because the rumor was that Christians ate babies. Right? They ate babies. They eat flesh and drink blood. Where did that come from? Communion, right? And we say we, we celebrate communion. We have the blood and the flesh, and the rumor got out, and they, they're zombies. 
right? And he's come back going, no, man, it was just regular food. I, I don't know what to do anymore. Because when you are living a good life, it is unassailable. Nobody can say anything bad about you. Peter concludes in 1 Peter three seventeen and 18. He says, For it is better, if it is God's will, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. For Christ suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous to bring you to God. God suffered, and it was for your benefit. It was for my benefit. And Peter says, you're going to suffer in life. It's going to happen. Jesus suffered, you're going to suffer. So it might as well be for doing the right thing instead of doing the wrong thing. If you're going to suffer in your marriage, let it be for being a good spouse, not for cheating. If you're going to suffer at work, let it be for doing the right thing, not for doing the wrong thing. Live a life that is unassailable. Okay? So this gets us back to our original question. Why have you chosen to follow Jesus? The reason that we take the Old Testament seriously, the reason we take the miracles seriously, the reason we take uh, Jesus' teaching seriously, the reason we're, as Christians, we're not put off by suffering is what? This is why we're doing this series. Nobody knows. See, why... Do we follow Jesus if all these things are going to happen? I believe that the best answer is to be like Peter and to tie that back to an event, to Jesus' resurrection. Okay? Let's tie that back to that event. Look at what First Chronicles says. You don't have to turn there. I'm sorry, First Corinthians. You don't have to turn there. But 15.14, this is Paul writing. And he says, If Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. Okay? So, how do you answer this question? When somebody comes up and fires one of these pot shots at you, how do you answer the question? I'm going to leave that up to you, but I have a suggestion. I believe Jesus died for my sins and rose from the dead. So when somebody comes up to you and says, you know, I got this verse here, and it says this thing, and and you're like, I I don't know, that's tough. But I believe Jesus Christ died for my sins and rose from the dead. Well, you know, Genesis, it talks about six days, but that just can't be right. It's got to be 6,000 years each. I don't know. Something's weird going on. Like, yeah, man, that's hard. I I don't know. But I believe Jesus died for my sins. And rose from the dead. Hey, what about that mega church pastor? And he ran off with his secretary and left his wife. Like, man, that's terrible. But I believe that Jesus Christ died for my sins and rose from the dead. Okay? 
And I'm going to ask you to do something here. I'm going to ask you to read this with me. And some of you who may not be Christians yet are thinking, Aha! He's trying to trick me. You're going to make me read this. Then you're going to say, Well, now you're a Christian. Gotcha. Don't read it if you don't want to. Okay? It's all right. But I want us to read this together. Okay, you ready? I believe Jesus died for my sin and rose from the dead. It's pretty easy. Now, if you get just just a second more, maybe you could add on. But I don't believe it because the Bible says so. It's better than that. See, I believe that Jesus Christ died for my sins, rose from the dead, but I don't believe because the Bible says so. It's better than that. It's better than that. And I just don't say anything more. And now that father-in-law, every Thanksgiving, when he throws out those three barbs, you're going to say, man, I believe Jesus Christ died for my sins, rose from the dead. But I don't believe it because the Bible says, what's better than that? See you next year. (laughs) And he's going to go, what? You can't leave me with that. Dude, man, you've been messing with me for years. This time I was ready. Okay? Listen, I don't believe it because the Bible says so. It's better than that. And now you have to come back next week to see why it's better than that. What's that mean? Next week we're going to talk about the Bible. The week after that we're going to talk about suffering. Your homework this week. Come up with your short answer. You might not use these words exactly. That's okay. But have your one-liner that you can say, yeah, man, that's tough. I don't know the answer to that. But I believe Jesus died for my sin and rose from the dead. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're thankful that you did indeed die for our sins and rose from the dead. And that that does give us incredible hope, Lord. And everything hinges on that. And we have the eyewitnesses that saw it happen, Lord, and we believe it happened. And when we feel your, your prodding and your voice in our hearts, we know that's because you are alive. Lord, help us to be a good witness for you and to have our, our response ready. So we can defend what we believe is our hope. Thank you so much, Lord. Be with us now. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you have been blessed by this message from the Downey Seventh-day Adventist Church. You can find more messages at www.downeychurch.org. God bless.